Welcome to Hosting HR with me, Leon Morley, founder of HR Recruitment Solutions, a recruitment partner exclusively for HR professionals. The Hosting HR podcast brings audio recordings of live shows with HR gurus and experts from around the world. These shows were originally broadcasted via YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn. Our live audience have the chance to ask questions directly to our expert panels and therefore each show is organic, unknown and raw just how we like it. The shows are designed to challenge a HR professional's thinking, progress the HR profession and have a little fun and laughter along the way too. So stay tuned as HR Recruitment Solutions begins hosting HR. Hello and welcome to Hosting HR with me, Leon Morley, founder of HR Recruitment Solutions. In this show, we're going to be discussing the future of HR, and this is really a show for HR professionals, and we'd like you guys to get involved out there, so wherever you are listening in, um, please feel free to get your questions, your comments um, over to us. We're currently live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and also onto YouTube as well. So on that basis, if you could subscribe, like, and share so other people, other HR professionals can benefit from the wisdom a wonderful panel today. That would be um, We've also got some really big news with regards to hosting HR, which I will share with you at the end of the show, just to give that little bit of a hook. So please do stay around for the show, and we'll, we'll let you know that news later on. Um, but really, from, from now, let's get introducing to our panelists. And um, Terry, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you, Leon. Uh, great to be here. Yes, yeah, so I'm Perry Timms. I'm the founder and chief energy officer of People and Transformational HR, uh, based in Northamptonshire in England. Uh, I've got an 18 year history in HR, so I've been doing learning development, org design, and so on, both as a practitioner and now as an independent. Uh, a couple of TEDx's, a couple of books. I pop up in uh, academic institutions as a guest professor, uh, and uh, absolutely love what I do. And I'm a real big cheerleader for all things HR. So thanks. Thanks, Perry. And you have also an announcement to make. I do. Yes, Uh, there's a nudge. I do. I know. (laughs) I sounded surprised. Uh, Here's the second edition of my first book, Transformational HR, which was launched uh, last week. Uh, And we are going to offer a free copy uh, of this to uh, a lucky recipient to this show. So, um, yes, nice to share some of that stuff. So thank you, Leon, for the plug. Thank you, but it's very generous. And um, yeah, so all you need to do to be entered into the free prize draw is send us a, a comment or a question. And at the end um, of the show, we'll look through and randomly choose somebody. I've got to figure out how to exactly do that, but we will do that. It will be random. I can promise you that. And then we'll send a copy. Uh, I'm sure Perry might sign it as well. So you've got that too. Oh, yeah. It's worth a bit <laughs> cool. less on eBay though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on, um, we'll come to uh, Suzanne. Um, please, can you, in fact, we should probably call you the evil HR lady, shouldn't we? <laughs> you can call me the evil HR lady and people will remember that better than Suzanne. So yes, I am Suzanne. I am the evil HR lady. Um, although I'm only mildly evil. So there you go. Um, and I'm based in, in Basel, Switzerland, but my focus is actually on the U S because you can tell from my accent, I'm not Swiss. 
Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly in terms of your your work, I've sort of followed that for a number of years as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it was nice to see you in Basel a, a few years back when we first kind of discussed the idea that you might come on something like this. So it's, it's nice to finally have you here. Um, and finally, um, Tripti, um, please introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you, Liam. I am Tripti, Triptija, and I'm the Chief Talent and People Solution Officer at Novartis. And my purpose at Novartis is to make sure Novartis has talent, skills, and organizational capabilities to reimagine medicine. I am excited about shaping culture, leadership, and society, and connecting people to their purpose. That's why I show up at work every day. I'm excited to be here. I'm a citizen of this planet, last 18 years in Europe. I'm also based in Basel, like Susan, and uh, my focus is where energy is. Thank you. And I think um, there's a really interesting story about your earlier careers and the things that you've done in terms of um, with your career. And um, I, I, I just really want, because I find it incredibly inspiring knowing these things. So I, I, I don't embarrass you, but would you, Mind telling us a little bit about sort of how you started your, your working career and the things that you did? After finishing my master's, I went on to work for a humanitarian aid organization um, in India. And I worked with, you know, an organization called CARE, working towards social justice and improving lives of women and girls in the society, working on public health supplies to meet the basic healthcare need. And that's where for me, Purpose is important, and purpose is even more magnified when you do it through a successful business. That has to come together in my work. Thanks, Leon. Thank you. Thank you. So um, those who watch Host in HR will know that we, we do something, a, a little game that we play um, called um, Two Lies and One Truth. Um, and this really is where each of our panelists will tell us three facts about themselves and two of which are lies and one is in fact true and at the end of the show um, along with the big news about hosting hr we'll also do our reveals um, of which is the truth so i feel it makes sense to go in the same order so um perry can you tell us your three facts please sure i can leon <clears throat> so uh, i played american football in 1991 what Suzanne would just call football, but the rest of the world. Yeah. That's the right, um, right way. <laughs> uh, I had dinner with Aaron Gandhi and I dropped out of university because I was offered a DJing deal. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I'm just making note of that, but I'll probably ask you to remind me later. Suzanne, what yeah. are your three facts? Okay. Um, I once got so lost in Marrakesh, I had to pay a teenage boy to find my hotel for me. I had a penguin bite my bag on a trip to Antarctica. And I learned in a very unpleasant manner that I'm allergic to shellfish while on a trip to Vietnam. Oh, wow. I like the fact that they're all on a theme. I like that. That's, that's quite cool. Trinity, what are yours? Um, it was very hard to find a lie, but there you go. 
I own an electric car. Okay. I have six speeding tickets in a day. <laughs> and I don't have a driver's license. Oh, okay. It's all on a theme as well. That's really, uh, really interesting. I'm hoping it's not the second one. Um, so, <laughs> he lives in Switzerland. It could well be the second one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll go through mine. M mine are also um, all on a theme as well. I thought I'd go down that same route, really. Um, so mine are, um, I used to be a radio DJ. Um, I used to play guitar in a band. Um, and I have met the singer and songwriter, bassist, guitarist, drummer, Sting. So those are my three. So anyway, we'll reveal the truths at the end of the show. Um, so really want to get obviously stuck into um, the future of HR. And really for us to be able to do that, obviously it's very important, I think, that we really look at the, the current state of HR now. So um, the quest first question I have actually is, what impact do you think the pandemic and lockdowns have had in relation to the HR profession today? And Perry, I'm gonna come to you first with that one, if that's okay. Sure. Thanks, Leon. So uh, uh, intrinsically uh, and extrinsically, I think there's been pressure. Um, and I think what's happened is a combination of things where there's been incredible heroism and stamina and application. Um, and with that comes, I think, a sense of exhaustion. However, what I think's happened is so much has been held together by HR during a very uncertain time uh, that I think businesses and people around have actually started to go, wow, I'm really glad I've got HR like that. I'm really glad that they are doing these things to look after me and my interests. So I think our stock has gone up. I think our value has been recognised. Um, I guess what I'm sensing now, though, is we are tired and the business is getting a little bit uncertain about the future because, you know, in or out of lockdown is almost like a binary thing. When we go out of it and into a new sense, it's like, well, you know, does the business turn to HR and go, right, there you go. You helped us now help us again. And we're kind of thinking, well, hang on a minute. Um, I don't think anybody knows what to do, do they really? So I guess my sense is we're breathless, we're exhausted. And now we've got potentially even more complexity coming our way. So I guess if anybody's thinking um, about anything, it's about continued high performance, continued focus. But I think we've got to practice a lot of self-care. That's my thoughts. Interesting. <clears throat> um, Suzanne, would you have anything to, to add in terms of things that you've seen in terms of the impact of, of COVID? And is there anything you would add to that? Well, one of the things that, you know, has always been a buzzword, not always, but in the past few years has been a super buzzword is this concept of agility. And the pandemic forced us to put up or shut up um, because one day everything is normal. The next day, everybody that possibly can work from home has to work from home. And a lot of businesses have to shut completely. And here are 4,000 new regulations for today. Oh, 4,000 new regulations for tomorrow. And no one knows what's going to be next week. Um, and a lot of that fell on the head of HR because we were the ones that needed to implement the new policies to stay in line with the regulations. We were the ones that had to do layoffs and furloughs. Um, we were the ones that had to coach managers on how to manage people that were now working from home. 
And we really learned that we can do it. I really get the feeling um, that that overall HR did a stand-up job. Just we were given the impossible task, and we did it. It's it's um, something that uh, yeah. I, I was talking actually to somebody um, the other day, um, and um, he's actually going to hopefully be on hosted HR next month. And one of the things he said was. Um, he feels that with with HR and, and one of his um, areas is that HR for a long time were kind of hated by the business and, and kind of seen as this kind of policy machine and and kind of like a necessary evil um, within the organisation. I mean, I don't know in terms of if if that's one of the 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 effects in terms of the I suppose the the lifting um, of of HR. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested. Um, in particular, in terms of Tripti, from from your perspective at, at Novartis, where sort of how your your department sort of handled that, and and, and what's what, what it's sort of experiencing as we're starting to come out of of, yeah. of obviously the, the and I know it's not over, but what yeah. what, what the difference has been. I'm, I must say, so I led the pandemic response at Novartis, so HR, mm-hmm. and my team still leads it. And probably then I said yes, I'll do it to uh, you know to my CHR audit. That time, I thought, okay, it's going to be a few weeks, you know, so we can deal with it. I had no idea we'll be like 15 months down the line and we're still in. But I have to say, it's also one of the most meaningful work where you could see. We always talked about for an organization of the size 120,000 associates, 50,000 external associates, adaptive HR. This was in action. You know, it's like quick thinking on the feet, having the humility. We will learn as we go, you know, what you design today, we might have to adapt tomorrow because it may not may, may no longer be relevant or you might have more information. Challenge before us was, you know, that weekend in March, I still remember when we sent 80,000 employees to work from home. 80,000 employees <laughs> over, and we had a plan to roll out MS Teams over three years. That happened during that weekend. <laughs> so there was no change management needed. It just happened. But imagine the anxiety and, you know, what went into it. And I realized we were better prepared as a company, actually, than I thought. You know, the resilience of organization came out. And we had three major things on our, it was also to sit down and think to what matters most at this time. It was safety and well-being of our associate, not providing them all the answers, but creating clarity, creating assurance. So that, that was first. Second is we're an essential business, so ensuring supply of our medicines that goes to our patients, which meant for HR, you still have manufacturing and people at your labs who still have to come to work. So ensuring their safety, ensuring how shift is working, how you know distancing, everything is working in that. And the third is ensuring inherent performance of our business and competitiveness of the business. And how do you juggle between the three at the same time? Okay. Came up, you know, issues that were, you know, things we were addressing, like you know, well-being, that came to the fore. 
center, how do we adapt? Pandemic really highlighted the work we do around diversity, inclusion, and equity. How does how does start to take centerpiece and way more? So very much, I would say, you know, been a centerpiece, and we're still going through it, but we feel much better prepared, you know, in dealing with the ambiguity that it brings. Yeah, I think it must have been also because as a truly sort of global organization obviously mm-hmm. it would have changed for each country as well because sometimes you had certain countries that were going through a significant wave and then you've got to manage that and then perhaps as that sort of stabilized another you know Absolutely. sort of area was struggling so that the complexity Absolutely. in terms of managing that it, it was not one size fits all but mm. principles remain the same how you how you respond and treat people in one country you know, you've yeah. got to follow the principle the same, right? But it's not one size fits all. And it's also not one size fits all the time because it's so different in different countries. Yeah. I want to comment on one thing that you said, Tripti, about how you had a three-year rollout plan for Microsoft Teams and then you just went and had to did it all on a weekend. And I think that is something that we in HR get caught up in not necessarily Microsoft Teams, but like we have to plan, we have to have this calendar, we have to have 473 meetings with 600 stakeholders and sometimes we can just do it. Okay, it turns out you didn't need a three-year rollout period. (laughs) You should just do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we learned here with this because there wasn't any rollout time for anything. Um, you know, as I said, my, my focus is the U.S. Congress passes a, a new law that to dealing with Corona and they pass it on, you know, March 23rd. It goes into effect April 1st. There's no time. You know, we just we had to deal. Um, you know, everybody worked around the clock, right, to get their new policies. And there you go. April 1st. There we go. We're in it. Um and we learned we can do that. We didn't need the three years to roll out Microsoft Teams. Absolutely. Quick on the feet. Employees need help. They're trying to balance their life as well as work. How do you come up with quickly framework policies that are pragmatic, based in the reality of today, and you know, led from a point of empathy rather than trying to make it perfect? Absolutely. I was going to ask in terms of from, I suppose, the business's perspective of, of HR, because mm-hmm. we talked about the fact that um, we, we have a, a feeling that um, HR has, has raised its sort of um, standard. Um, and it, I suppose the expectations I'm quite interested in, in terms of what the expectations are um, of um, the HR um, going forwards, really, and, and what um, businesses' expectations of HR will be. So I suppose that the question, if I shorten that a little bit, is do you think that the business will have a different expectation on the HR profession going forwards? Perry, do you want to yeah. go with that one? <laughs> yes, is the short answer to that. <laughs> <clears throat> so I suppose with, um, with the... Uh, approach that we've seen where as we've just described a lot of it is act uh, and then you know adapt uh, and I guess there is that already so I mean we're seeing it with hybrid right so that's the word du jour hybrid yeah. and if I'm being um, 
uh, even remotely unkind to business. They haven't got a clue what they're doing. They have no idea how to manage hybrid working. Nobody does. We've never really done it. We've had Absolutely remote working. We've had home working a lot. But Suzanne's right. We've not done this before. So I get the sense that really what business leaders are doing, they're turning around going, okay, HR, sort that out. And, and do you know what? It's like, well, that's not fair because it's not just ours to sort out. It's the entire business's way to say, what is work? Where is it done? How do we do it? Why do we bring people together? I'll give you an example of a really clumsy application I heard about not that long ago from a former client of mine. The uh, top team said, right, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, Mondays and Fridays, you work from home. <clears throat> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you come in. That's when we want you to do the meeting side of things. Do you know what happened? The workforce en masse went, oh, we're not doing that. Why do we want to come in and get stuck in meetings? We'll do the meetings outside. We want to come in for social cohesion. We want to do some creative problem solving. We want to do all those things we know we need people for, coaching, mentoring, learning. We'll do the meetings online at home, thanks very much. And so the business leaders backed away because they got it completely wrong. I think they're struggling to create clarity by being dogmatic and perhaps a little bit overly directive and then they're expecting hr to jump through those hoops and make it work not fair so i think we've got to push back on that and go this is not a simplistic solution so that's a big challenge for us i think yeah okay uh, perry, perry i think either you push back on that or you take the lead and enable it differently completely right? completely now, Totally. What we do is we call it choice with responsibility. Rather than right. being dogmatic, you need to come Monday morning, yeah. Tuesday morning. Yeah. We say very clearly at Novartis that teams and associates know when, how, and where to create the greatest yeah. impact in their role. We'll provide you with tools and frame. Yeah. And we call it choice with responsibility. You have a choice when, where, given all the, you know, tax, yeah. local legislation, you know, those restrictions within the bounds of that, yeah. how you organize your life and work, but you're responsible for taking self-care, staying productive, and ensuring competitiveness of our business. And we provide that tools to teams and framework rather than being prescriptive on Monday, Tuesday, we decide for you. Oh, no. There could oh, no. be a situation, be in a market, we are into a product launch, Teams might decide to come all five days and meet. It's mm -hmm. less about telling them when to meet and not to meet. It's more mm -hmm. about teaching them how to make collaboration more purposeful. Yeah. Think about why you need to meet because we do, we are human. We need to meet. There's a sense of belonging. There's a sense of trust we build, right? And what is the work which could be focus work which you want to do? on your own at home or maybe in mm. the office or place of your choice. So it's about having that how conversation as a team versus skipping yeah. it and coming up with a policy. So, and it's, uh, as you say, Leon, about expectation. Expectation is that we help business transition forward and not go back. Yeah. Transition forward into hybrid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, from a, an audience perspective, keen to know your thoughts on, on some of the things that we're discussing. And if you've got any specific questions um, that you'd like us to pose to the panel, uh, we do want this to be very much a, a discussion with you guys involved as well. So, you know, feel free to get those across. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about, I mean, I, sorry, before I move on, actually, Suzanne, I probably should give you the, the option. Is there anything you wanted to talk about in terms of how you see the business changing in, in its expectations of HR? 
<laughs> well, I mean, Perry and Tripti really covered a lot of it. I mean, we could write whole books on <laughs> the expectations <laughs> of HR changing in this. Uh, but it, I, I really like how they both pointed out the role of support from HR, but it's a whole business. It's a whole business problem. And we have more problems coming that people aren't anticipating. So while we started talking about hybrid, there's a lot of companies that decided just to get rid of their office altogether and be completely remote, which sounds fabulous, but it's not for everybody. And there's a huge difference from a team that knows each other well, now working yeah. from home. Now we're going to hire this new person in. This new person doesn't know that, um, you know, Tripti loves football and never misses an FC Basel game and has no idea that Perry loves to go surfing and why does he live in England? Because the surfing's not good there. He goes to Florida every year. And, and so they're not part of that inside story and everybody else is, but there's no sort of natural integration in an online thing it has to be really manufactured and and businesses aren't prepared for that they're like we did fine we did fine because we already know each other well now we we hired this new guy and and he's so confused as to what's going on yeah i think there's a, a we, we actually uh, our last show was was on hybrid working and uh we talked a lot about that and, and new people coming in as well into, you know, existing teams. It's kind of okay if you already know each other and then, I don't know, you might have gone on to, to furlough or, you know, or for whatever, or gone remote. Um, but obviously, if you're new into that environment, it's kind of, kind of quite hard to build those relationships. And I think it's then, you know, one of the challenges is how do you, you integrate, you know, how do you integrate those new people? Um, I'm assuming, Perry, I think you'd, you'd hired quite a bit within your business during that time and you've got quite a, a different model haven't you as well in terms of how we're 100 percent remote yeah yeah we're 100 remote we're all flex roles so people work at very random times of the day so we've mastered the art of async uh, communication mm -hmm. um there was some degree of knowing but we we had to work at it in the way that suzanne describes actually it doesn't just happen by accident this stuff no. you've got to be very deliberate about it however what we found is where people will tell you culture cannot translate through a screen that's rubbish you can you can honestly cut the culture that we have because it's so strong because we've been deliberate in the way Suzanne talks about because talking to Tripti's point we haven't tried to squeeze the real world down a pipe we've changed we've altered we've adapted we do things so differently because of that yeah 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 that's the important part and a lot of people last March or whenever just did the exact same thing but now from home and that yeah. That works temporarily, but it's not a long-term solution. I think one, one needs to stay a bit curious and experimental as we go through. And as we transition forward into hybrid, at least what we look at is we look at also data. So, you know, you yep. can see there's tons of data saying, if you do not meet and connect as people, as teams, sense of belonging over a period of time starts to get impacted. Innovation happens where there is collaboration. So we still have to literally look at how do we make sure that still stays as essence of our business. And that's why there's no one size fits all, but you very purposefully think about, take an experimentation led approach. How do you go into this? 
That would be my take. Fantastic. Um, I want to, um, I mean, Tripti, I know part of your, one of your projects at the moment is looking at the future of, of work. Um, and, mm -hmm. I, and I'm really sort of keen to know a little bit about sort of what you've kind of discovered in terms of that and, and potentially what some of your, I suppose, responses will be. Um, I don't know how much you could say. Some, I'm sure there might be some things that you might have to keep to your chest in case people are watching it. But but what, what can you tell us about what, what you sort of envisage as the future for, for, of work for Novartis and also for its HR population? Sure. First of all, Leon, it's future of working. Okay. Okay. So let me start there. It's less about, you know, how the work is organized, but it is much more about how we are working, right? Mm -hmm. For example, we oftentimes, you know, as a function, we do, okay, we have a day full of meetings, you know, virtual work, asynchronous work, hybrid work, and we have these well-being offerings. When we spoke to our employees, when we ran a brain trust exercise, you know, just trying to understand what's, how do we go about it? They said very clearly, we do not want well-being as a program. We want well-being as an outcome of the way my day is organized. Well-being as an outcome of the way work is done in the company. And that's where we look at shifting, nudging and shifting behavior. Of course, we have a culture, you know, very strong culture, you know, that really helps ground it. But how do you have those important conversations, right, where people feel what they can decide, what they can bring? We look at three key things here. First, we look at what emotionally enables an associate and team to stay connected, you know, that sense of belonging whether it is mental and physical, you know, health and well-being, whether it is, you know, the way a team meets, the way we look at, you know, how we perform, how we work day to day, so the whole around emotional you know, enablement, we call it. Then there is the second piece, which is much more around, you know, a talent and rewards practice. So how, what does it mean in terms of opportunities? You know, what does it mean in terms of learning? What does it mean in terms of building skills? Because we would have to continue to build skills as we go into this. You know, almost 30% of skills become irrelevant. You know, research shows very clearly over a period of three years. So how do, and that, with the new reality, how do we continue to build that? And the third thing is around our workspace, which still will continue to become very relevant. You know, how purposefully we will use it as a space for collaboration, space to focus, how would it look like? So it's all this together, but taking a very data-centric approach there, mm -hmm. trying to understand how associates feel today, and they feel different, how they felt six months back, how they feel today. Six months back, they didn't have a choice. Today, they're going to have a choice of, you know, deciding how and when to organize their work as mm -hmm. markets start to open up. So that's our journey. So it's much more linked into our culture transformation, mm -hmm. providing that long-term thinking around what it means for teams and associates. There's one cultural difference which we have put very clearly is choice with responsibility, which is our future of working. And actually, we haven't said that it's led by manager or it's mandated by company. 
It's associate-led, team-enabled, and manager-aligned. So it's empowering the teams to come forward and take that decision. I think it's not only empowering the teams, it's that the teams already have that power. And this is one of the things that we're seeing um, with a massive number of resignations. Uh, We're even calling it the great resignation because employees are like, no, I've learned what's important. And now you want me to resume my two hour commute? No, I'm not doing it. And they're not. And they're finding new jobs and they're leaving. And it's the option for companies to either say, okay, I realize you guys are, you guys have the power. Or you can whine and complain and, and end up with all of your good people leaving and ending up with only the people that no one else would take. And really that, those are your options. Because the people are already empowered and they figured it out during this pandemic. It's quite surprising, actually, Suzanne, just on, building on, on the points that you've both made there. Um, obviously, from my side, I talk to HR candidates all the time, right? And um, I mean, just today, I was talking to somebody who is in a role and they said to me, well, um, you know, I'm going to, as part of my role, I've been asked that I need to be in the office five days a week for my role. And I said, okay. And um, they told me that their sort of daily sort of journey is is pretty much an hour sort of each way. So obviously there's a huge amount of time in the day for them um, where, you know, they are relying um, on, you know, the the people that will, um, you know, sort of go in and do that role because they don't want to do that you know, anymore. They've decided that, you know, my well-being is important and I don't want to spend all that time commuting to and from offices. So, yeah, it's certainly something that I'm hearing and I know that it's going on. I know there's a lot of people that will leave in this sort of scenario. I'm not sure the business is, is always fully aware that, they, that the, you know, there's a lot of HR, not just HR, but I'm sure it's in other sectors as well, but just from my personal experience that are not necessarily going to be doing that. And so, yeah, this uh, great resignation, I think, is, is, mm-hmm. is around the corner. There will be a lot of, I think, movement um, in the next sort of six months um, as there has been since the beginning of this year really. There's one thing though Lynn. Yeah. The function can sometimes get trapped because you know immediately the managers or some leaders would say but can you tell me when can I call them? Can you tell me what you know just just be prescriptive tell us Monday Tuesday and that's where the judgment comes in no you know we have agreed you know it is very clear who holds the key? And that's the teams, the associate. You know. So staying course on that is important. I yeah. I remember the number of times it came to us. Oh, but can can you tell us under what situation we can do this and we can do that? Yeah, I think, I mean, the one thing with Novartis in, in my, because I, I know that I, I don't, well, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but there is obviously not this expectation that you would go in certain amount of days, but it's obviously very, from what you're saying, very empowered to the people in terms of how they work. Um, and I think, unfortunately, there are still lots of businesses that, that I'm talking to and, and people working for businesses that aren't necessarily like that. Um, I am working with clients that are, you know, super flexible. Most of the clients I've worked with so far have, have had a degree, an element of flexibility in most of the roles that they've had. Um, but I know a lot of candidates that aren't necessarily in that sort of, you know, situation that I've spoken to. 
Um, I'm just going to move on a, a little bit. We've had we've had a, a couple of comments. I'm just going to go into those, and then um, so we've had a, a comment from Naomi um, saying, "Absolutely agree." So the HR's job description massively expanded during the pandemic, and I suspect that it won't reduce. Uh, we've also had um, James, so very similar to agreeing with the comments um, about the HR is changing and particularly the naivety of some businesses around integrating staff without thinking carefully about the communication and systems. I, th I think that's been a, a huge challenge over the last sort of six months. I don't think a lot of businesses really thought that through. And I think there's been a lot of people that got into organ have struggled to adapt because they haven't been there. Um, and then James as well. So um, sometimes overlooked as some leaders' readiness to trust and competence hasn't changed yet. Uh, we're going to talk about skills in a bit because um, I had a, a question. I know it's something Perry and I talked about before, but I had a question actually today along sort of the skill set for HR. We're going to start moving on to that shortly. So what advice might you give for HR facing resistance to adapting workplaces? That's a, that's a good question. If we could go with that. So what advice would you give to HR when facing resistance to adapting work practices in this context? Anybody like to answer James's question on that one? Sure. Um, there's, there's, there's all kinds of resistance. Um, you've got resistance from senior leaders who want everybody to have their butt in a seat. You have resistance from people who want to exclusively work from home, even when they're not productive at home. And, and this is, this is a true thing. Not everybody is meant to work remotely. They're absolutely not. Some people are terrible at it, even if they love it. Some people hate it. And a lot of people don't have the setup for it. Um, you know, I've worked at home for 12 years, but when all of a sudden my kids could no longer go to school, my apartment suddenly became very, very, very small uh, with everyone around me. Um, so when we're talking about resistance, it's not just from employees. It's not just from management. It's not just from CEOs. It's a matter of communication amongst all of the parties. And Perry's company went full-time, everybody remote. Fantastic. Novartis is never going to go full-time, everyone remote because you got labs, you have manufacturing. You can't be like, okay, can you please manufacture this in your living room? Let's send it more on. It's, it's never going to happen. And, you know, for like HR, if I am running a manufacturing site, if I'm HR for manufacturing and I say, well, I'm going to work from home, I'm not going to get the trust and the respect of the people that are working um, full time on site. I'm just not. I'm not. So I got to be there. You know, so there's all of these different things. And sometimes people are like, but, but I can do it from home. Can you? Some jobs you absolutely can. Some jobs, even though on paper, yeah, I'm an HR manager and this person is an HR manager and she can work at home. Why can't I? Well, because you're over manufacturing. That's why. Um, you know, your task list might be the same, but the people that you're dealing with are in the office, are on the manufacturing floor. You need to have those steel-toed shoes on. I don't know if you have to wear steel-toed in pharmaceutical manufacturing, but let's say you do. You got to have yours on and walk the floor. Um, because that's what HR needs to do. They need to be where the people are. And so there's resistance all over and we need to just open those lines of communication. I think you make a great point, Susan. It's not one size fits all. And it's also not one size fits all the time. Right. Also the right. moment in time. So yeah. 
my pragmatic advice, I have two things I would say when you face with this resistance is there's a lot of work that happens within a company, but there is a lot of work that happens externally. There is so much power in data. Sometimes it's good to, you know, when we don't have data internally, we also look for it externally. So how are other companies doing it? Because it's an ecosystem. This is one thing where a company is not alone. Okay, so that's, this is one time to learn from each other, learn from competitors, learn from, you know, the whole ecosystem. And then also look at having data about how your own employees are feeling at this point in time. Well, leaders, managers sometimes may or may not think because everybody has a personal preference and everybody has thoughts or preferences based on their own ideas. And this is where data could be a great equalizer, you know? So that's something I would say is to use the power of data and build much more programs led with that. Okay. I am... Um... I mean, it's really interesting in terms of this sort of stuff. I, I really want to start some conscious of the time um, and, and really looking at sort of the, the can future. Can I just come in on that, on, Larry, on. On. I've, got, I've got something that I think James might like, right? So I think think like a scientist or a physicist here, right? Mm -hmm. The systems of work are powered by the energy of people. Now, if you've got resistance from people, the system either needs to be redesigned to channel that energy or the principles that people are energized by need to be recalibrated. That's what I advise there. Treat it like a scientist or a physicist. Thanks, Barry. So, yeah, I um, obviously wanted to make sure we, we, we covered on the, the, the future of HR. Yeah. And we talked a lot about sort of the current sort of state in terms of, you know, working and, and where HR is really at today. Um, we actually did a, a show in, in April, um, which is called um, Goodbye to the HR Business Partner. If you're uh, obviously on the YouTube channel or you want to see a, a back um, copy of that, then, then certainly go check it out. Um, I'm going to play a short clip that we have from, um, from one of our guests, um, Tom Huck, from the uh, HR Trends Institute. Institute. Um, and basically, um, I'll, I'll play it now and then I'll come back to the question really from it because I think it's quite an interesting point that he makes. I don't want to sound too negative, but many organizations are still quite toxic workplaces. And so there are many organizations, and some of those organizations are the biggest organizations in the world. Uh, if you read today, uh, uh, not, yeah, I can mention the name Amazon, for example, it's one of the biggest employers in the world. And they are creating partly, they are, for example, uh, uh, they, they don't want unions in their, in their organization. They, 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 they create climates in warehouses, which, which are probably unacceptable. Yeah. And still they are the biggest employers and we all buy uh, uh, and order stuff from Amazon. Then my question is, it's not, not about Amazon specifically, but where is HR in confronting and dealing with these type of issues, uh, toxic workplaces, but also uh, uh, we have had the whole uh, uh, Me Too uh, discussions. We've had uh, 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 discussions about equality and diversity. Uh, and that is related to the subject we discussed uh, 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 earlier. Uh, if HR is too much associated with management, they become problem solvers. How do we get away with the problem instead of really solving and, and confronting uh, uh, organizations with these issues? Yeah, so um, 
obviously off the back of, of Tom's point, I mean, I, I thought it was a, we, we went on further in that in that show and we discussed about sort of ethical leadership and sort of HR's role as sort of championing that within businesses. But I suppose really what, what I'm keen to sort of ask is, is your thoughts on that, but also what you would see should be the key focus of HR in, in the coming years? Like, what should it be really focused on? What differences should it be making? So um, does anybody want to volunteer to go first? I'd quite like to get all of your thoughts <laughs> on that, if that's okay. Suzanne? Uh, sure, I have a big mouth. <laughs> I was like, I need to be more quiet. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 first of all, I love Tom, and I met him at a conference once, and I didn't know who he was at all. He didn't know who I was. We were just both eating the same thing. And he gave me great advice just randomly. And then I went home and looked him up and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's what I was talking to. Anyway, that's just my side story about Tom. Um, but, you know, he gave that example of Amazon. And this is an example of a company that pays very well. And so they can get employees because they pay very well. But their turnover is horrendous. Um, their warehouse turnover is 50% higher than, than average warehouse turnover. So they're paying more than the other warehouses, but their turnover is higher. And so sometimes I think, um, you know, we're inclined to throw money at problems. You know, oh, you want to quit? Well, let me give you a, a $5,000 raise and then you'll stay. But Amazon shows us that he doesn't solve things. And I'm not saying don't give people more money. You know, I'm, you want to give me more money, I'm, I'm taking more money. That's fine. But it's really that culture that HR needs to be focusing on. Because we can run a report, as Tripti said, the data is there. We can see what the market value is for, you know, a second level accounting supervisor. We can do that. Um, we can do a have a computer do that. But in HR, we're supposed to be the people specialists and we need to look at our engagement data and what the thing is, is with our employees and not necessarily, oh, industry average is 72,000 francs for this position. That's what we're going to pay. And who cares about all of the other issues? Those are the, the other issues are the important issues for HR. And someday yeah. Amazon's going to run out of employees. They're, they're going to run out if they don't change. Maybe I take this one further, Suzanne, so how we do at Novartis. If you really look, in my view, my personal view, very clearly, HR needs to be the driver of that culture and purpose. Yes. Yes. So that, that's something. If you do that well, that is what will help unleash the power of the people. The biggest asset a company has, which is the human capital asset. Okay. And that's it. And, and there are ways one needs to do it. So it's not about just, you know, yes, culture, you need to drive. What does it mean? It needs to be measurable. You know, you, you need to measure the outcome. You need to hold leadership and also the function accountable, you know, to drive that. You know, there, there needs to be outcome into that. At Novartis, you know, obviously our culture transformation is led by our CEO. You know, he's the biggest architect of that. And we fundamentally believe our culture will help us drive performance. This is our competitive asset. You know, 
This will hold people here and this will make those who don't subscribe to it uncomfortable. That's okay. And th those are the conversations to have. So that's where, that would be the single biggest piece, I would say. You can link talent into it. You can link leadership into it. You can link, you know, experience, everything else into it. This is the single biggest thing I would, say, I would highlight. Interesting. Absolutely. So from my part then, uh, around about 2013, the very clever Wilson Wong from the CIPD in the UK produced a report which nobody found and nobody used. And it's about organisational justice. And it's terrific because it talks about how you create a just organisation that's fair, inclusive, equitable. This is 2013. So I'd urge people to look at that. Wilson Wong's report. Terrific. The World Health Organisation recently talked about over 700,000 people died because of overwork. So there's a moral and humanitarian case to make. And then there's also an economic case to make for care. In all of the research I've seen about companies who performed well during the pandemic, they were like Tripti's organisation. They put care first and they performed consistently well, if not um, very well indeed during the pandemic. So the correlation between caring for your employees and being a profitable, sustainable business it's there, but actually I don't think we're making it strong enough and we should do. We should say there's an economic case as well as a humanitarian case. Um, so in the book, I talk about us being the stewards of a just organisation. We don't own it. We steward it. We say this is unjust and we call it out. So talking back to Tom's point about the ethics, we can absolutely tap on the shoulder and go, we're not just here to keep you out of court in tribunals board. We're here to make sure you are not subject to corporate manslaughter, as as some French executives were several years ago when 35 yes. people in a telecoms company committed suicide because of overwork. This is the case we have to make. And, and Perry, I, I think that this brings up a really good point, and this is one of the things that we're seeing in the U.S., is a tremendous labor shortage in um, the entry-level fields in in restaurants and retail, they just can't hire. They just mm. can't get people in. They're raising salaries and not getting people in. Mm. And I think it really comes down to that is that for years and years and years and years, they treated people horribly yeah, exactly. and people are not taking it anymore. They're exactly. just, they're just not. Um, totally. There was just in the news yesterday, mm. um, an entire Burger King staff quit because the the um, owner of the franchise wouldn't fix the air conditioning. Um, their yep. manager passed out from the heat and yep. he called them babies. And so they all said, okay, well, we're gone now. That yep. wouldn't have happened yep. in 2019. No. But totally today right. that's Another, how it is. And every single yeah. one of those people gonna, could walk across the street and get a job at McDonald's exactly. in five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to plug somebody else's research here, Megan Wright's um, employee activism. So from Ashridge, uh, Holt, um, Megan Wright's is picking up some really nice stuff on employee activism, because if unions can't represent, people are doing it themselves. Yes. I, I think there's also an increased expectation from companies, you know, that they need to play the role, not just, you know, about running a profitable business, but a successful, you know, social change. Yeah. You know? There is an expectation, and as a function, HR needs to help the business okay. actually drive that social environmental change. Look at how ESG is important. 
it's not just important because rating agencies use it. It's an expectation from the society that companies need to step in and step up. And function yeah. needs to, you know, HR as a function needs to play a key role in that. Yeah. That's such a good point, Tripti, because my little company is going through its B Corporation accreditation. It is so mm-hmm. slow because they're overwhelmed because people mm-hmm. recognise they want to be accredited against those kinds of standards. Totally with you on that. I think it's, um, I, 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 it was Dave Ulrich um, said about, um, I think he talked about climate change, which I'm quite, which I'm interested in because he was talking about um, shareholders and customers and people de- demanding basically that companies are much more hot on their sort of environmental, not just like to, to kind of like, sure, we've done a little bit, but actually becoming increasingly important. But what was quite interesting is is what Dave said, and, and I, I don't think I'm misquoting it, it, exactly what he was saying, and it's definitely paraphrased. It's just kind of what I remember and took from it, mm. but that HR should be responsible for for looking at things like climate change and environmental policy and things like that, which I thought was quite an interesting um, aspect. Do, do you do you sort of see that as well when we're talking about this ethical leadership? Do you think that climate yeah. change and, and and that is is part of what HR should be really tackling at, at this time and, and in the future? I don't think so. I really don't. We need to focus on what our area of expertise is, and that's people. And I can do more good for the world by making sure that employees are getting proper pay, that they're having proper breaks, that they're having managers that are trained to manage, um, that there is a good environment there. I can't be all things to all people. And so I'm saying, let's let the scientists and, and the politicians, who I really think the politicians are worthless, but they, they've got the ones with the pens. Um, but let's let them sort that out. And we can support a company initiative, you know, more green or whatever. But my focus needs to be on making businesses a good environment for humans because if i spread myself thin and i'm like oh well let's worry about this and let's worry about that and let's worry about this then suddenly i have a toxic workplace and whose fault is that it's mine because i was busy off doing everything else but my primary function different so, Go on, Trip. Yeah, I was I was intrigued about what you might say. I was hoping you would yeah. come in because <laughs> I, I can tell has a little bit different opinion than I do. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. So there are there is a space HR owns and needs to drive, which is all around diversity, equality, inclusion, the culture at the workplace. You know, well-being, a lot of it. And there are places which you you know, as a function, we don't own, but we play a critical role. How does that benefits policies look like in future that does enable a better climate? So you'll have a procurement team or your facilities team that can come up with a new car policy. How do you make sure that's equitable? How do you make sure that is embedded in the realities of that country? And so there is a there is a role that the function has. I think the biggest role it can play is by building leaders that are leaders for the society, for the company and society, who think about it. HR doesn't have to do, you know, drive that climate change themselves, but they could groom leaders which think about successful, profitable business, but also leading social change. 
Um, we've had a, a comment come through um, from Catalin um, to say, mm -hmm. yeah, she agrees that, that climate change um, would be part of sustainability and, and, mm -hmm. and therefore should be um, part of HR's uh, remit. I, I do think it's an interesting one because there's an argument to sort of suggest that organisations mm -hmm. could probably have an environmental or, or I, I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, a, a sort of team that, that kind of, you know, looks at that sort of stuff and really pushes that forwards so is, you know, certainly bigger organisations. Um, you, you could see that that could be a, another scenario. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was quite interesting because it was brought up obviously back in April. Um, Perry, we didn't come to you in, in terms of your, your thoughts on that question. I think Suzanne's got it right that we don't own it because we, we do have enough already on the plate, right? And uh, so we need to think about what we can uh, get rid of uh, because there's totally too much in our stack already. Uh, so I agree we don't own it, but I think if it matters to people, it will matter to us because our recruitment techniques, where people work, how we help with behaviours, all those kind of things, I think they'll come and channel through us. So I think we will have a watching brief and a very active role to play within it. But Suzanne's right. I don't think we own it. I think we are really active in it, but we don't own it. That's my thought. You've just mentioned there something, Perry, that I did, I did actually really want to ask, which was um, if there's any areas mm. that HR should drop in the future is there the parts that you feel i mean you just highlighted there so what what in your opinion mm. should hr be dropping from their current sort of remit of obligations and responsibilities i tell you what i'm really surprised about during the pandemic that i haven't heard mass um stampedes towards more automation of administration and so on and so forth so that we've got that kind of thing going on because we started to talk about ai and machine learning before the pandemic and we suddenly sort of put that back in the box and went oh no we better not but but i think there's so much opportunity for the things that we have which are wasteful processes which i think we can absolutely slicken up through um automation and, and so on and i've seen it done it's not an inhumane thing you just create capacity um, but I think uh, so one of the things we need to do is absolutely we need to create space in order for us to get more competent on those future skills that Tripti was talking about that are out of date within three years. So I don't think we're that good at looking after ourselves. We do it for everybody else and then we don't do it for us. So um, I think there's whatever we get rid of, we create some space. Um, so I think there are some elements of um, like performance management. Let's give that an example. What the hell we're doing interfering with that still? I don't know. Um, because it's almost like, hang on, performance is owned by the individual. They have to instigate that. And let's let's decouple it from performance bonuses because that's awful. Um, and payroll, why is that not a finance function? Because it's money. Do you know what I mean? There's all sorts of things we could nip and tuck and trim. Um, uh, but I think we've, we've boxed ourselves in a bit because we've put our arms around a little bit too much. So I don't have all the answers, okay. but uh, certainly automation yeah. gives us some breathing space. It's got to. And I had I had a question earlier, which because uh, we're, we're running really uh, late on time, uh, but I do want to get this in because it was um, asked to me in, um, from uh, somebody that was uh, planning. Well, couldn't watch tonight actually, but um, was planning to watch afterwards. And they they talked about the skills thing, which is something also um, you know I've talked with you about Perry in the in the past. Mm. Um, in terms of what skills do you think that the HR function needs to have, or the HR professional should be equipped with in the future? And do you think they're different to what HR professionals are equipped with now? Um, I don't know if who would like to go on that. Tripti, quite interested in your thoughts on that. The skills 
before I go even into skills, probably, yeah. I wanted to talk about, you know, rather than what HR could draw, what HR could do differently. Yeah. Rather than fussing about every process and every this, work back from the outcome. So what's that outcome? What's the impact we want to generate? Probably, you know, if we answer that, many of the things we do today might just stop it. Because there is no link back into, you know, what we do today, some of it, some of it. So having that as a North Star, that's important. What's the impact? What's the outcome we want to generate? Okay. Now, bringing that into skills, what are the skills that that means? Apart from we talked about, you know, driving that measurable culture change. And I keep mm-hmm. going measurable. Mm. This is where marketing was 30, 40 years back. You know, when you looked at a marketing plan, how does it drive, help drive sales or commercial success? So how does HR help drive that measurable culture change? So having that understanding to bring data and empathy together. We deal with humans. So, you know, it is bringing that data science, but bringing that power of empathy together versus taking people decisions just based on intuition. So that's, that's one skill I would say, you know, that we ought to shift ourselves. This is good for the credibility of the function. This is what business leaders expect. The second one I would talk about is anticipate and adapt to future skills. We need to we need to start working on skills that are fit for purpose today and prepares us, you know, fit for future. So, you know, how do you take organizations through that transition? And that's complex. It's not, it's easier said than done. So these are two things I would highlight. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, Perry and Suzanne can add more. Yeah. I was gonna, I, the, the data science bit that sort of piece is, is particularly interesting because obviously a lot of functions now have people analytics teams, um, people sort of really looking at sort of the data side of it. Interestingly, the, the people behind that aren't necessarily the ones that are considered to be the really sexy ones in HR, but I do wonder whether that might potentially change over the coming years um, in terms of how they're considered um, and not just kind of like doing reports, but really looking at, you know, what's measurable and what they can look at. It's a different bit, little bit, Leon. It is data science together coming up with behavioral science, you know, which leads to what is that empathy-led intervention. So that's something we need to think about. Um, Perry, uh, I'd like to, to get, because I know we've talked about it before, so I'm intrigued, your yeah. thoughts in terms of skills for the future for the HR professional. Yeah, so this is mostly not based on my own personal opinion, but I've tried to aggregate okay. about 40 pieces of research over the last uh, year. And what's coming out top is performance analytics and value creation. So that that deliberate pairing of those two, because and I can kind of understand why I don't know about um, people, uh, other people in the room. But when I go into businesses, they have no idea how well they're performing and they have no idea about their value creation chain in the way they should. And I think we can claim some of that ground because it's about the people and the empathy stuff that Tripti was just talking about and the application Suzanne was sharing. So performance analytics and value creation. And I think this is a bit of an old chestnut, but psychology and behavioral science 
we've got to absolutely leverage the hell out of that because we're not doing enough of that in the workplace. I think we're still relying on hokey psychometrics and some of the other guesswork. Uh, and then my final one is um, experienced designers. We've got to be absolutely phenomenally good at that for all the reasons we talked about with toxic workplaces and what people expect and what's fair and right and just like Suzanne has been saying. So I think if we get those uh, in order, we'll be doing ourselves a favour according to research and, and kind of my uh, belief in that as well. Thanks, Barry. Suzanne, um, it, it's probably the last thing before we sort of start to wrap up the show. So do you have a, uh, a, anything you'd like to add in terms on the skills side? Well, I first I want to say that I totally agree with both uh, Tripti and Perry on those things that need to happen. Um, absolutely. But the other thing I want to point out is that a year ago, I knew absolutely nothing about vaccination and I had never thought about making a vaccination policy for any company. Now I teach regular webinars on creating vaccine policies. I can write one for you in my sleep. Um, I know about this. I know about that. Um, I've become a, an expert in HR policy around vaccines. And my point of that is a year ago, I had no clue now it's a major part of what I do. Um, what am I going to have to learn a year from now? I have no idea. And so for me, we can have these things that we know that Perry and Tripti have come up with, but um, we also have that unknown and it's, it's going to be there forever. I'm sure that both Perry and Tripti are doing things today that they didn't know how to do a year ago uh, because the whole world is different. And we'll be doing things in a year that we have never done before. Um, you know, and we'll, I'll be like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. Uh, and that's really this agility as, becoming so much more important. It's not just a matter of, oh, I have my degree. And so now I've learned everything I need to do. Now I just apply it. Every day, it's going to be learning new things. And agreed. And really, HR, we have to be the people that want to learn new things. Anytime an HR person says, I'm done, I'm not learning anything else. That's when you got to leave the profession. Because We've got to go forward. Um, you got to learn new things because this year I learned all about vaccines. Who knew? Um, and and next year I hope it's not medical because I'm kind of done with that part of my life. <laughs> I will learn it. Yeah. I will learn it if I have to. But let's move into something different. Susan, <laughs> it's something Julius and adaptive. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's really I adaptive. I think the one thing that I've noticed, certainly when I've, I've worked with, with um, I suppose, HR leaders and, and the ones that really inspire me is they, they remain very much that, you know, they are always curious, they're always adapting, they're always purposeful and, and, and driven in, you know, with a, with a real mission. And, um, it, you know, that's really clear. And you can tell, you know, people who, who are that in, in their sort of working lives and those who, I don't know, perhaps, you know, are, are doing it as a job and they, they, they get their enjoyment elsewhere or, or whatever else. They're not driven in the same sort of way. Um, it's, it's very clear. But certainly the ones that are inspiring are the ones that are, yeah, very much like that and, and very purposeful in terms of what they're doing. Um, 
so obviously I'm very conscious of time. We've, we've gone um, over our, our one hour um, slots. Um, we do want to go through a, a couple of things. Obviously, we've got our, our two lies and one truth, which we need to to get to the, uh, we need to find out what the truths are. So um, I can't remember exactly the order we did it. I think we started with you, didn't we, Perry? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So go on. Then. So, Re- so remind I'm... us of your three facts. Okay. So I played American football in 1991. I had dinner with Aaron Gandhi and then I dropped out of university because I was offered a DJing deal. Suzanne, what's your thoughts? Which one of those is the truth? I I, I think you dropped out for the DJing. Dropped That's out for DJing? Okay. Okay, Tripty. How can you pass that up? <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts, Tripty? I think you played American football. Aha! Okay. So I'm, I'm going to also is... go with that one, Perry. Sorry, yeah, I'm, go- I'm okay. also going American football. So the truth is, I had dinner with Aaron Gandhi. That's the oh. truth. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did play American football, but in 1990, not in 1991. Oh, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I didn't go to university, so I didn't even get the chance to drop out. But I did used to DJ. Ah. So they were some yeah. of them were sort of half truth. Half in all of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure we're allowing those. They've got to be blatant lies. <laughs> um, who was next? Uh, Suzanne. Suzanne. You next. So mine were I got so lost in Marrakesh, I had to pay a teenage boy to get me back to my hotel. That's the I one. I had a penguin bite my bag in Antarctica and. I learned in a rather dramatic fashion that I was allergic to selfish while on vacation in Vietnam. They all sound true. Go on, Tripsy. (laughs) Which one are you going for? The first one. The first one. Marrakesh. The city walls, right? And then the big square. I I don't know. I would get lost in Marrakesh any day, so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Perry? Oh, I think we might have lost Perry. Oh, no. You're back. I'm going to go with the penguin. The penguin, okay. Ooh, I'm still there. You're still there. I, I was really unsure penguin. between the first one with Marrakesh and then the, the, what was the last one again? So it's shellfish in Vietnam, you've realised you're allergic. Ooh, I'm going to go for the... Uh, sh- yeah. You're going to go for go what? On. I'm going to go for the shellfish in Vietnam and being allergic to that. Well, the truth is... A penguin did bite my bag, but at the Basel Zoo. Um, and um, but I did get completely and totally lost in Marrakesh, oh. and I wandered around for more than an hour. And I even had my phone with Google Maps, and it wasn't good enough. And this teenage boy is like, "Ma'am, are you lost?" And I'm like, "I'm fine. No, I'm not." <laughs> And oh, good. He me home and I paid him some ridiculous amount of money and he was like this is too much I'm like listen no, I would have been all me. night <laughs> you take it you, you, could, you could still be there now and then you would never have come on this show and that right, would have just right. been a shame for exactly. us all we owe this teenage boy <laughs> I figure that's probably how he makes me is that looking around for <laughs> For dumb tourists. <laughs> yeah, tourists who clearly don't know where they are, looking <laughs> at their so phones, try, want, looking around. So yeah. <laughs> um, Trip to your three facts. I think I had 
I collected six speeding tickets in a day. Yeah, that was one of them. I own an electric car and I don't have a driver's license. Okay, Suzanne? Yeah, I'm going to go with the six speeding tickets in a day because this is a very Swiss thing to do because um, it's all electronic. And if you're going fast down a road, mm -hmm. there can be, it's easy to get six in a day. So that's my vote. Perry? I'll go for the uh, just the electric car thing because I know that there's loads of Teslas in Switzerland. Yeah, I'm also going to go with the um, electric car. I, I I really think you've got a Tesla. That's that's my guess. Yeah. Well, partially true, but I don't have a valid driving license today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it partially true? Do you have an electric car but not a driver's license? Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, I, I hope you're doing things within the uh, <laughs> within the laws of Switzerland. I'm not sure. Are you this learning? Recorded, right? My husband yeah. drives the car, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> that makes that makes sense. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, and mine were um, so I used to be a radio DJ. Um, I used to play guitar in a band. And I have met um, Sting. I think you've met Sting. Okay. I'm trying I to imagine you play guitar and... I, I think that one. Guitar in a band, yeah. The guitar. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I used to be a radio DJ. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I should be slightly offended that uh, it was not. No, I, um, yeah, I, I did it for university radio um, for a period of time. I think we used to have, um, I think it was on a Monday at like nine till I think 11 or something. Um, and um, yeah, I was hoping that those skills would have followed me through and it would, ah, you're a radio DJ, obviously, because you're obviously very good at this kind of thing. <laughs> but it was a long time ago. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's what I did for a while. Our, um, we used to have a feature called Kazoo Sings This, and my, my uh, co-presenter used to sing a song on the kazoo. People used to ring in and guess, and that was uh, that was our most popular bit of the show. Uh, people used to tune in and tune out as soon as that was done. Um, anyway, so that was my truth. Um, so just thank you, um, obviously, all at home for watching, um, or wherever you are, wherever you're watching. Um, we will have another show coming up on the 11th of August. Um, it's going to be quite an interesting one. Um, it's with a, a panel. I mean, I, I think we, we talked about sort of um, psychology and behavior science and things like that. Um, we've got um, a little bit of that in, in with the, the panel. Uh, we've got um, uh, Heiko Fischer, um, who's obviously um, very interesting in terms of some of his views about HR. Um, and yeah, a really in interesting guy from that perspective as well. Um, so yeah, really interesting panel lined up and a, a very interesting show planned for then. So please do join us. 
Um, I did say there was some news at the beginning of the show, so um, I'm going to reveal the news. I don't know if we've got like a, a drum roll, um, but um, the, the, the news is is that if you enjoyed the show or enjoyed previous shows, you can now watch or listen to our shows on podcast. So we are now also a podcast and available across pretty much all of the, the platforms that I've ever heard of, to be honest. So, um, yeah, this one will go live um, in the coming days. So if you like to sort of listen to us when you're walking the dog or cooking or whatever you might be doing, then obviously you've got the option of doing that. Um, obviously, we'd like you to get involved in the live shows. Um, so certainly we'd like to see you on the 11th. But yeah, just a, a little uh, piece of news for you there. So my last sort of thing is to um, say thank you very much, Perry, for joining us and your insights there. And a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Suzanne. And I think you've proven that you're not actually evil. Um, I'm very, very appreciative of having you with us. And Tripsy, thank you very much for um, joining us. And um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. And yes, and the dog has just come in. So that must mean it's the end of the show. So um, thank you all for, for listening along and getting involved. And we'll see you again in four weeks time in the next show. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this show and do check out our other episodes. If you'd like to get involved in the live audience, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the notification so you know when those live shows are. If you're a HR professional looking for recruitment or career support, please check out our website for further information, hrrecruitmentsolutions.com.